Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. Well, this morning we're starting a new series called Toolbox uh, and Success for Life and how to be successful in life. Self-help books are one of the largest publishing categories in the United States and probably in the world, self-help. There's, and there's a lot of good and a lot of truth in self-help books. The problem is, is that we need more than ourself for the problems that we have. See, that's the difference between self-help and Christianity. Self-help says I can do it myself. Christianity says I can't do it myself. I need a savior and that savior is Jesus. So self-help, there's some good things in there as long as Jesus is at the center and the core of everything. One of the things that, the, that self-help books teach is this, that desire and determination, if you have desire and determination, you can accomplish anything you want in life. Now, there's some truth in that. You do need desire and determination, but it's not the whole truth, okay? Let me paint this picture for you. Let's imagine that someone uh, wanted to make the Olympic swim team, but the only stroke they knew was the doggy paddle, okay? But they had the desire, and they said, you know what? I'm going to be the first person in history to win a gold medal at the Olympics doing a doggy paddle. And they had a strong desire, and they had strong determination. They determined that every day they were going to swim the doggy paddle for eight hours a day. Okay? See, desire and determination aren't enough. You need the skills in order to accomplish and for our purposes what God has in store for us. You need skills to be able to do that. No matter how much desire and determination you have, it doesn't matter. You need the skills in order to be successful in life. So what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks is the toolbox for life. And we're going to give you some tools in order to be successful in life. Because desire and determination are important, but the tools that we need are essential. On your, your paper is the theme, theme verse that we're going to be using throughout, and I read it at the beginning of the service, Ecclesiastes 10.10. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring what? Skill will bring success, and you can circle those or underline those however you want to get it done. It takes more effort to get the job done without the right tools, it also takes more effort to get the job done if the tools aren't sharp, if they're not working to full capacity, like my poor hammer here that I destroyed within, you know, just a few minutes uh, from that. So now I have two. Uh, that's how I look at it. Uh, and now I have two stress, stress balls. But the right and sharp tools bring success. And what you're doing today by coming to church is you're sharpening the tools that God has given you. That's one of the ways that we sharpen the tools that God has given us, that we do it through hearing the word of God, through living the word of God, through prayer, through fellowship, through service, through generosity. All of these things sharpen the acts that God has given us so that we can be more successful in life. That's why church is so very important. We have skills that God has given us. We have tools that God has given us, but they can only be sharpened through God's means. Okay? Like I could take, let's say I had an axe and I wanted to sharpen the axe, but the only tool I was going to use was the side of this wood pulpit. 
Would that axe ever get sharpened? No. It would destroy the pulpit, but it wouldn't sharpen the axe. You need the right tools to sharpen the axe. Sometimes we live life and we want to be successful in life, but we don't want to go through the sharpening that God has in store for us. And so that's very, very important that we have the right tool and that it is sharp. The first tool I want to teach you is an important one. Do you see the word at the very beginning, facing the what? Right on your paper, facing the what? Facing the naysayers. Webster defines a naysayer as this. A naysayer is a person who says something won't work or isn't possible. It's a cynic who habitually expresses pessimistic views. Okay? Let me read that again, and you can read along on your paper. A naysayer is a person who says something won't work or isn't possible. A cynic who habitually expresses pessimistic views. You probably have naysayers in your life. How many of them are sitting next to you right now? Okay, don't, don't answer that. Don't answer that. I saw some of you just, not ever, oh, some of you just turned your head and actually looked. Some of you I could see all the way in the back, you just turned your eyes so that the other person couldn't see it, but now we know. It's like I saw it and now we know. Just naysayers. We all have naysayers in our lives. And what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at one of the most familiar uh, stories in Scripture and it's the story of David and Goliath. Now, we know when David got to Goliath, we know that he picked up the stones. We know that he did the slingshot, hit, did you catch that? That's the story in a nutshell. But before he ever got to Goliath, he had to face four naysayers. He would have never made it to Goliath if he hadn't first overcome the naysayers in his life. And these naysayers are going to be representative of some of the things that we face in our life. I think, I don't know that I said it every single time that I talked or prayed for the baptismal candidates, but I said something like this, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And I said that on purpose because it's true, but I want everyone to hear that and everyone to know it. Everyone that's here today, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And your purpose and plan is different than mine. And mine is different than yours. And you don't have to live God's purpose for me. And I don't have to live God's purpose for you. But we must find that purpose and live it. And when we live it, there'll be naysayers. Okay? Did Moses have naysayers? What were the, who were the naysayers in his life and what did they say? Yeah, it was the very people he was trying to lead, the Israelites, somebody said it. And what were they saying? Just one of the, I mean, there was a lot of different times. Take us back to Egypt. We'd rather be slaves than free and have to eat this food. Can you imagine? They would rather be slaves than eat the food that God provided, the manna that God provided. Isn't that interesting? But that was their attitude. Moses faced naysayers, okay? Uh, who else was a naysayer in Moses' life? I don't know if you'll catch this one. Himself, because he said, I can't. See, God had a purpose. He was a naysayer in his own life. We'll talk about that. Did Jesus have naysayers? <laughs> yeah, and they crucified him for it, right? Everyone that's ever accomplished anything in life will have naysayers. If you want everyone to like you, then don't do anything in life. And some, I don't mean this as harsh as it sounds, never do anything in life because you're afraid of what other people think. 
there's only one person that matters, and that's God. And what does he think about you? And you know what God thinks about you? He thinks you're awesome. He thinks you're so great that he would send his son to die on the cross for your sins. So no matter what others tell you, no matter what you think yourself, God loves you. That's one of the ways. Now I'm going to preach this next week, how we overcome those naysayers, how we overcome them through taking these steps. Okay, so let's take a look at David's life. Four, four naysayers before he ever got to Goliath. The first naysayer, and you can write this down on your paper there, was his dad. Was his dad. Are you writing it? Anybody need help spelling it? Jen, in the back, you good? Good? Okay, just checking. Elijah liked that one, didn't he, Elijah? Yeah. Even Kaylee smiled. Did you smile, Kaylee? She loves being mentioned in public. She loves that. She loves that. His dad. His dad. Watch this scripture here. What was David's role before he became all that he became? And what did his dad want him to do for the rest of his life? See? See? Now, David, this isn't a... a, 1 Samuel 17, 12 through 15. Now, David was the son of uh, Jesse. I'm going to cut, I'll cut out some of the names throughout, but who was from Bethlehem of Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war, Eliab, uh, Abinadab, and Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, verse 15, but David was held back to care for the sheep. David's dad didn't want him, didn't want to let go. David's dad didn't want him to go necessarily and fulfill what God had called him to do because David's dad had a plan for his life that wasn't necessarily God's plan for his life. Very difficult watching your children grow up. Every stage of parenting has its challenges and has its blessings. I found that even harder than not sleeping for a long period of time when they're an infant, and that's hard, is watching them grow up and make their own choices. That's really tough. To be able to sit back and say, God, as I trust you for my life, I have to trust you for their life as well. That gives me chills just thinking about it because it's still hard. My son's 28. My daughter's 25. They have big decisions that they've made and big decisions that they're going to make in the future. It's hard. It's hard to, ready, let go. Some of the decisions my children have made, thankfully they've never made horrendous decisions that have affected the rest of their life, but they're decisions I wouldn't have made and I probably could have steered them in a certain direction but I didn't want to be the dad that held them back. So my parents, excuse me. Raised us in church. My two older brothers, Tom and Mark, sang in a gospel singing group for 25 years and traveled around the country doing that. Now that sounds exciting till I became a parent and realized my parents from the time my brothers were teenagers into their 30s just allowed them to do what God, what they felt God was calling them to do. 
and they traveled all over the place. And it, it, it went like this. Now, I was a lot younger. My oldest brother's 14 years older than I am. My other brother's 11 years older. So um, I actually don't remember them living in the house because uh, they were so much older. But, I, but looking back on it, what would happen is they would work all week, and then they would travel all weekend. And they would get in because services were often on Sunday night. They would travel four hours, sing on a Sunday night, come back and end up that like people in the band would be sleeping on my parents floor and they would get up and go to work and start all over again till the next weekend and that seems like wow that was but then I look at it from a parent's perspective and my parents said you know what we want you to serve God and do what God has called you to do and whenever their bus or whatever it was broke down guess who they called my dad and guess what he did he he went now, I don't know this, but I'm sure he gave them money through the years. I mean, that's just how it works, right? How many have adult children and realize sometimes they can be more expensive than little children and all God's, all God's people? Yeah, see that? Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Does, when does that end? Does anybody? Oh, you like that one, huh? Yeah. Does that end? Can you give me some hope here? Or no, it doesn't end. Okay, I'm just trying, trying, but all that. But they let us go. Then my brother Jim... Uh, who you know is a missionary, was called to the ministry, and he waited a couple years before he went to Bible school, and then he went to Bible school and was called to the Czech Republic that had just come out from under Soviet rule. Him and his wife and two young children were the first Assembly of God missionaries in the Czech Republic. When they got there, they didn't know the language. They learned as they went. When they got there, they didn't understand currency or money, so they would go to the grocery store. First of all, this is funny. They would go to the grocery store and shop like an American, not like a European. And Europeans shop for what they need that day, right? Americans shop for... So they would buy for what they needed for a week or more, and the people were looking at them. First, they knew they were foreigners, and they are looking at them like, what? But they didn't know, and they would just hold up the check money and let the people take what was needed because they didn't understand it. Now, I can't imagine. Now, again, I'm going back to being a parent. I can't imagine how stressful that was to my mom and how difficult that was to my mom. But my parent and dad, and my, my parents said this, we want them to fulfill God's purpose for their life more than we want them to fulfill our purpose for their life. Then their youngest son, eight years later, I was the, the, the youngest one. I was their little one. I was the late in life one after the others were grown at 17 years old, left to go to Bible school, never been home again. And it's still hard. Honestly, one of the most difficult things that we've faced in ministry in 30-some years is being so far from family. And it, it's hard in good times, and it's even worse in difficult times. I appreciate this church that lets us, you know, if I need to go to Ohio, it's never a problem. If I need to, when my dad was still with us, if I needed to go, it was never an issue. It was more like, what do you need and how can we help? And it made it easier, but it's still difficult being away. So we talked to my mom. I just talked to her today. She watches our service. She, for 30, how long? Since 1984, I've been gone. So, and she cries every time I talk to her on the phone. Almost, not really. But we have this saying, it's better to be serving God from a distance than serving the devil next door. I'm thankful that my parents had an eternal perspective. See? 
Now, some of you, this takes two forms. Some of you need to let your children go and be adults. Not at five, but at, but at 50. I mean, at some point. That doesn't mean you cut all ties. I don't mean it like that. I mean all the emotional guilt and the emotional turmoil that parents can put on their children. Sometimes we need to let them go because they'll never fulfill God's purpose and plan until you let them go. And you'll never fulfill God's purpose and plan for your life until you let them go. Some younger people, and the first rule of marriage is what? Leave and cleave. And by cleave, it doesn't mean, if you don't know, if you don't know King James, it means be united together, okay? Some of you are thinking, oh, cleave. First rule, you have to leave your parents and be united with your spouse. That doesn't mean geographically. It means emotionally. And I've seen couples, I've watched it happen. I can sense it in conversations. They're married, but they never broke away from their parents. They never left their parents' home. They never left that. And that'll hold you back. It'll hold your marriage back. And marriages can be broken by not leaving and being united to your spouse. Once you get married, this is why I dread my daughter in particular getting married. I'm no longer the most important man in her life. That's what it means. Who gives this woman to be married? It means I am now... I'm not ready yet. This isn't... I'm just saying. I'm preparing myself for this. Um, I'm no longer the most important man in her life. Now her husband is. That's tough on both sides. Now, on the good side of it, as I lighten the mood a little bit, when she calls and asks for money, oh, no, 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 no. You have a new man in your life. But I know how that'll work too. Mom, no, no. The dad held him back. Okay, naysayer, number two. I won't be as long on all the other ones unless I think of something. Everyone in the crowd, you can write crowd on your paper, was a naysayer. 1 Samuel 17, 8 through 11, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects, but if I overcome and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other together. Okay, so instead of all the armies fighting, just mano a mano, you send one and I'll be here and whoever wins, wins. On hearing the Philistines' words, verse 11, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Okay, he was too big, he's too strong, he's never lost. This is a battle I cannot win. The first thing that will hold you back from God's purpose is delay. The second one is discouragement. Discouragement. There was a climate of fear that was running through the whole Israelite army. And I'm, I'm thinking David could sense that as soon as he got there. Maybe you've grown up in a situation like this or maybe you work in a situation like this and I hope you don't live in a situation like this now, but you're terrified to make a mistake. 
because of what will happen to you. We have a saying in the office with the staff and everyone, a mistake is when you stop talking long enough to do something. I don't have a problem with our staff making a mistake. Now, if it's immoral or illegal, we'll deal with that appropriately. But making some simple mistake is not a problem. We all make mistakes. The only perfect person was Jesus, and they crucified him. Now, if you make the same mistake two, three times, we might have to, you know, have a little face-to-face, a little sit-down. But mistakes aren't a problem. See, mistakes happen to everyone. Maybe you're in a situation that you've been placed in that you're just terrified to make a mistake. I have to go quickly, so I'm going to use a word that I might not normally use, but it's a word that you'll understand without me having to preface it much, and it's this. Maybe you work at a place where your boss is a jerk, and they're self-centered, and they only think of themselves, and they'll step over you. They'll back, they'll backstab you, whatever, to get ahead. Maybe you work with people like that. See, we all have a crowd around us that are trying to keep us from accomplishing what God has called us to do, whether in the workplace, in church, in life, whatever it is. There will always be a crowd around us that will attempt to discourage us and keep us from doing what God has called us to do. The Israelites were called to go into the promised land. This is before David. God said, I'm giving you this land. Go check it out. This is an important truth I'm going to share with you. They sent 12 spies, one from each tribe. Ten of them came back and said no. Two of them came back and said yes. You ready for this? The majority of people in your life are not always right. The majority of people in your life aren't always right. God is not a democracy. God is a benevolent, loving king. And it's the king's word that matters, not the crowd's word. Go further in your Bible study. How many times was the crowd right? You don't have to tell me now, but you can look it up. How many times was the crowd in the Bible right? Rarely, if ever. See? You don't have to listen to the majority. You have to listen to God. And what God tells you to do, because sometimes the majority is wrong. And sometimes most people in your life don't want you to fulfill God's purpose. Or maybe they do, but they're still naysayers because they're negative by nature. Maybe because, and again, I'm going to be blunt here. If you're new to the church, please come back. Actually, I always preach like this, so this is what you get. Maybe they're just so miserable in their life that they don't want you to be happy. That happens. Don't let discouragement creep in. So, so... Goliath would get out there every day for 40 days and say, who are you going to send? Who's going to beat me? And the crowd brought discouragement into David's life, but he didn't allow that to be the last word. The other part that we touched on, others can bring discouragement in your life. But I think the biggest battle we face, the biggest naysayer we face in life is our own self. Now jot this down somewhere if it's not in there. You, you have to get this, please. Please, look at me now, because I can see all of you. I can see who's on your phone, who's not. I can hear the videos because you forgot to turn the sound down and you're watching Facebook videos. I can hear all that. I thought that would get a bigger laugh. Sounds like guilt to me, Sister Val. Sounds like guilt. Not you doing it. I meant I was using you. Uh. Jot this down. Look at me. Not everything you think is right. Not everything you think is right. 
you have to filter your own thoughts through God's thoughts. Because not every emotion you have is accurate. Not every word that you say is right. Not every thought that you have is right just because you thought it. Well, I thought that I couldn't do this because of whatever. You know, maybe a year ago, every person that got baptized today, none of them are public speakers. None of them are preachers yet, but they might be. They all thought in some way, I don't know that I can do this. But you know what? They overcame whatever they were thinking in themselves to do what God had asked them to do that day. And you know what's going to happen to those that got baptized? You're going to find it easier now because you took that public step. You'll find it easier now to serve God because you did something hard. You did something difficult, but you overcame what you were speaking to yourself to do what God had asked you to do. Others can be naysayers. Sometimes our own self are our biggest naysayers. Not everything you think is true. Listen to God. Number three, his brother questioned his motives. His brother. So David asked the man, verse 26, quickly, uh, standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistines and removes the disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him uh, what had been said and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. Now, verse 28, look. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and he asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? He was mocking him. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Let me ask you this question. Who was actually wicked in their heart? Who was self-centered? Who was conceited? And who was arrogant? Not David. It was the brother. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See? Sometimes even family members don't want you to succeed for whatever reason it is. Sometimes they can be so self-absorbed that they can't stand when anyone else succeeds. Sometimes they've made such horrendous choices in their life and their life has become so, and again, I'll use this term, miserable. And in their mind, God never thinks this meaningless that they fight against anybody else, that God is working in their life and has a purpose and a plan and a meaningful existence. Rick Warren says this, if you only attempt uh, in life what you can do in your own power, you're going to have a puny little life because you can't accomplish much by yourself. But if you let the size of your God determine the size of your goal, then you're going to have a big God and you're going to have a big goal. When you are pursuing God's purpose for your life, it's bigger than you. Again, I'll go back to water baptism. None of you, I don't think any of you wanted to speak in public, but you did. You overcame it because God's purpose was bigger than you. But I bet you'll tell me that at the end you were glad that you did it. I bet you will. I know we were all glad that you did it. When pursuing God's purpose... Now listen, if your only goal in life is to make money, that's a puny goal. There's a lot of people that make a lot of money. And, you, you know, really in America, you're probably already rich in the world scheme of things. But nobody ever thinks they're rich. You know, Rockefeller said, how much money is enough? Always a dollar more than what you have. But in reality, we, if you drove here, have a place to live, uh, have clothes to wear, uh, whatever, 
mean, we're way ahead of the rest of the planet. We're way ahead of the 7 billion other people on earth, you know? And so if your only goal is to make money, that's a puny goal. If your only goal is to be comfortable, that's a puny goal. You'll never be comfortable because uh, life is going to happen. Life happens. Comfortable is not a goal of the Christian. Christ-centeredness is a good goal of a Christian, and those that follow Christ are not always comfortable. If your goal is for everyone to like you, forget it. That's impossible because not everyone is going to like you, and you have to determine that you're going to go forward from there. The dad delayed, the crowd discouraged, the brother disapproved. Tell you this story and start winding down. That doesn't mean I'm finishing. It just means I'm winding down. I'm just kidding. About five to seven more minutes. This goes back decades. Decades. Someone got mad at me, and they decided that they were going to go around, going to go around. I do know how to speak. Uh, going to go around and speak bad about me to other people in the church. And say so they were going to people's homes and they were saying things about me and. They were calling people on the phone, and they were saying things about me. And uh, I found out about this because somebody called me and said, well, did you do this? And I said, well, let's see. You've known me for 20 years. Do you think that I did that? Well, no, I wouldn't think that you would ever do that. Okay, then don't bother me. No, I didn't. Not quite like that, but almost. So you know what I did to this, to this person that was going around to people's homes and saying bad things about me? You know what I did? Absolutely nothing. Because I have a purpose and plan in my life, and I wasn't going to let that person distract me from what God called me to do. Stop trying to change people because you can't do it. Stop pursuing every person that doesn't like you for some reason because it's keeping you from the purpose of God. It's a distraction, it's a discouragement, it's a delay. It will keep you. I did nothing. Nothing in return. And in those decades since then, God has been good. Still preaching the word. Still enjoying water baptism. Still loving the church. Loving the people. Preaching. Have more opportunity now than ever before. What what would have happened if I had gone the different direction and gone after that person in the same way they went after me that I would be no better than they were and God would have been unable to do what he wanted to do in my life, okay? Somebody might have needed to hear that today. It's not just about my story, but not everybody's gonna like it. And then the last one, this is a funny one. The experts doubted his ability. Saul was an expert warrior and he said this to David, you're not gonna be able to go against that Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He's been a warrior from his youth. You're too, uh, you're not a warrior. You're a shepherd. You're not even a grown man. You're a teenager. Uh, You're not as big as Goliath. And Saul was thinking, you're not even as big as me. You're just a kid. You can't beat Goliath. You know, sometimes the experts are even wrong. Watch this. I love this. I read this this week. The ark was built by amateurs, but the Titanic was built by experts. Isn't that great? Experts aren't always right either. Saul said you can't do it. God said you can. 
Goliath said, you can't do this. This is insulting to me. God said, I can. In fact, I mean, if we get a little deeper, if you know the story, in fact, what David said, yeah, you're right. I can't do this on my own, but this battle's not mine. This battle's the Lord's. Amen. Okay, let me review. See if you got all these right. Number one, naysayer was who? The second one, crowd. Third, and the last one, experts. Good. A plus. Rick Warren, I'm using some of his material like we've done campaigns in the past, every September. Using some. He tells this story. This is a great, great story. Rick Warren pastors a church of uh, 30,000 people, and he is probably the most influential pastor, uh, two pastors of our day. He writes this, I have a copy of a famous letter now in the publishing world. It was written to me by a publisher in the middle of 2002 when I was writing the book Purpose Driven Life. How many of you have heard of the book Purpose Driven Life? Okay, good. That makes my point. I had sent the publisher the first draft of the book, and this publisher, or expert, (laughs) wrote back a three-page letter on why this book would never, ever sell a copy. Well, if you don't know, this book became the best-selling book in the world for four straight years. It became the best-selling book in world history. 62 million Americans read The Purpose Driven Life. It's been translated into 137 languages. It's the most translated book in the world except the Bible. But the expert said, nobody's going to read this book. And then he gives me five reasons why The Purpose Driven Life would never, ever sell. And then this is the clincher. His recommendation on page three was that I hire a freelance writer, a professional to rewrite the book, to build the Titanic. Rick Warren politely wrote back and said, thank you. I'll take it to another publisher. I believe this book could make history. Parents aren't always right. The crowd isn't always right. Your family isn't always right. The experts aren't always right, but God is. Pursue God first because he has a wonderful purpose and a plan for your life. Next week, I'm going to talk about practical steps of overcoming naysayers, but I'm going to close with this. Face the naysayers with faith. Face the naysayers with faith. And let God in the equation, and you will have victory, just like David had victory. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to Hope Online Podcast. For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.